Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. So good to see everyone. It's good to see lots of people back from uh, vacation and over the summer. If you've got a Bible, please ch- uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we will be carrying on with us. Our series through the Beatitudes. Um, I thought it'd be good to have a title for this morning, so I've called it Living in the Grace of God's Mercy. So that's going to be our title. Uh, So let me remind you where we are. It hasn't been, uh, we haven't gone too far, but let me just remind you what's been going on. So we're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew has just um, called his first few disciples. Um, He started preaching throughout the area. And at this point in the story, uh, Jesus has headed up a mountain with his disciples and the crowds that he's been preaching to are beginning to follow him up. So he sits down and he uh, begins to preach. So let me just read from Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 2 through to uh, verse 7. And he opened his mouth... And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's just begin by praying together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your steadfast love for us. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for bringing us here to be part of this body. Father, I pray that you would just be with us as we we look at your word. I pray that you would open our hearts as we hear from you. I pray that you soften us, and I pray, Father, that we would be changed from what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me start by asking you a question. How do you respond when something bad happens to you? For instance, so you're at the movies, you've gone to watch Black Widow, and you come out and you find someone has crashed into your car, But instead of leaving you a note, they've just sped off and left it. And so you're going to need to pay for those damages. Or, say you've been at work and you've been working on a project for months, and all of a sudden somebody comes in and they mess around with it, and it actually goes wrong, and you are left picking up the pieces. Often for me, I find that I get slightly annoyed and... Often, I find I get angry over it. Probably even this morning, some of us have arrived here cross and angry with something that's happened. Maybe the kids didn't wake up on time. Maybe the coffee machine didn't start when you needed it to. Maybe that person saw you at the junction trying to get out, having sat there for five minutes as the traffic went by and didn't let you out. So there's many things that can cause us to be upset and get cross with what's going on. So as we come to this week's message, we're reminded that those who are merciful to others 
will themselves receive mercy. So, what comes to mind when you think of the word mercy? I talked to my kids and said to them, what do they think when they think of the word mercy? And they immediately thought of that kid's game where you grab someone's hands and you kind of go and you yell for mercy once you've had enough. I'm guessing that uh, Matthew wasn't thinking of that when he wrote this. Um, I looked up the word mercy in Webster's and it defines mercy surprisingly quite differently. It says mercy is meekness or tenderness of heart, which causes a person to overlook injustices or to treat an offense that is better than he deserves or to forbear punishment or or inflict less than justice warrants. So when I read these words, I thought of something else immediately. And I don't know what you think of when you hear those words, but my immediate thought was grace, God's grace. And in fact, you could say that grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Forgiveness, friendship with God, and eternal life. Whereas mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Condemnation, enmity with God, and eternal punishment. So, I want to ask you, is your life defined by mercy? Are you merciful to others, and are you merciful to yourself? I guess in other words, you could say, are we by nature merciful? Now, if you're unsure whether you are merciful by nature, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 makes it pretty clear. So he says, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So before God took hold of us, the Bible says we were children of wrath. And we were both under God's wrath for our own sin, and we were under wrath with regards to how we respond and think of others too. In fact, it says that we were spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins, and we were dead towards God, not wanting anything to do with him. In fact, we were running headlong to hell. But God is rich in mercy, and he wants to make us alive in Christ and to change us. God wants us to draw near to his throne of grace, to receive his mercy and be merciful to others. So, what actually is mercy? For me, the best way to understand mercy was to really to look at God himself. God is obviously the Alpha and the Omega. He was there before and will be there afterwards. And like his love, his mercy extends from before through to eternity. So as we look at mercy this week, the way it seemed to me was to break down quite nicely into three areas. Past mercy, future mercy, and present mercy sat in the middle. So past, present, and future mercy. 
So let's begin with past mercy. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's mercy to his people all over the place. In Genesis 3, we read that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They disobeyed the one commandment that he gave them, not to eat from a certain tree in the garden. You would think it would have been pretty straightforward, but when we look at our life, how often it is more complicated. God was really clear when he told them what he wanted. He says in Genesis, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. But so often like us, they didn't listen. Instead, they listened to the lies of the enemy. Do you remember what the serpent said? Did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? How often we listen to that voice as well. We listen to the lie of the enemy, or we even listen to ourselves. Listen to the wise words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you listen to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That is wise counsel and something that I often ignore. Most of our unhappiness is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Instead, we should talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of God's promises. James 4 says, for instance, submit yourself therefore for God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Or in Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That was a good one for me this morning as I came up here. <laughs> and even in Philippians 4, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. It's a good one for the Adrians as they move everything to the North Shore and to come with us and be with us. How wonderful are God's promises. They are eternal, they are always here for us to refer back to and remind ourselves of. They bring us great comfort. However, if we go back to the story, Adam and Eve did not hold fast to God's word. Instead, they listened to the lie that the enemy told them. But God, in his grace, reached out his hand to them and had mercy on them. So where else do we see God's mercy in the Old Testament? Well, as you can think, it's everywhere. For instance, many years later, we see that God used the prophet Moses to rescue his people from the hand of Pharaoh. I'm sure everyone knows the story. If you haven't seen the movie, I'd highly recommend it. Prince of Egypt, obviously. Always a good movie. So, obviously, God sent loads of plagues to uh, the land of Israel and eventually Pharaoh let his people go. Moses led them out of captivity across the Red Sea, which would have been amazing, and towards the land that he had promised them. 
And you would have thought that the people would have been filled with praise and joy for what God had done and was doing in their lives. But no, so similar to us, they began to complain almost immediately. How quickly we forget all that God has done for us. I know for me, the minute hard times come, I immediately will complain, instead of thinking back to all the blessings that he has given me and our family. So back to our story, Moses obviously at one point heads up Mount Sinai, or a number of times, to, to, to receive the Ten Commandments. And when he's gone, the Israelites are busy replacing God, replacing him with an idol that they've made in the image of his own creation in way of the golden calf. So obviously when Moses comes down, he's pretty upset but he's not as upset as God is. God is so upset with the Israelites that he actually wants to destroy them completely. But instead, God chooses to have mercy on them. As we continue through the Old Testament, we see over and over again how God's people continually disobey him, and yet God continues to have mercy on them. But God's mercy is not only evident in the Old Testament, we also obviously see it throughout the New Testament as well. Let's just see how we're doing on time. I have no idea. <laughs> so in the book of John, we read how a woman was caught in adultery. I'm sure you know the story. She was brought before Jesus and she was almost brought before him as a trick. What's important to remember though is that she was caught in adultery. It wasn't that they made it up, she was actually caught in the act. And so there was no doubt that she was guilty. And based on the law, the woman should have been put to death. However, Jesus shows again amazing mercy to her. Instead of condemning her as the people wanted him to, instead he had mercy on them and he said to the people, who is without, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Well, obviously the people knew that they too were sinful. And as the people drifted away, Jesus said to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Just as Jesus was merciful to the woman, he is merciful to us. When we succumb to temptation or even sin, instead of running and hiding from God, let us run to God. For his word says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So throughout the New Testament, we see many times that Jesus has mercy on his people. However, it isn't until we come to the cross that we see God's greatest act of mercy. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, as one trespass leads to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man disobedient, as for one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Paul tells us that because of Adam's sin, all mankind will be condemned. We can think of this condemnation in three or even two ways. It was three ways, I changed it. In two ways. Firstly, Adam's sin is inherited by us in that we are born sinners. And secondly, Adam's sin is imputed to us, which basically means that his sin is counted against us. So we are both sinners by nature and sinners by choice. Apart from God's grace, we are unable to respond to him because as we have read, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. But although we have chosen to rebel against God, in his mercy, he made the first move. He has reached out his hand of salvation to us. And we read about this in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So through the cross, God has shown his unmeasurable mercy to us. In sending his own son to die in our place, we can be reconciled to God. So even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God has made us alive in Christ. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, he too has raised us to new creations. His mercy will never come to an end. You cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot run from his mercy. You cannot hide from his face. God is always there for you in every situation, every day, always. Excuse me. However, once you put your trust in Jesus' death on the cross, you may think that life will get easier. In fact, often it can appear as if it becomes harder. And we would define these as trials. In James 1, we read, Count it all joy, my brothers, for, you, for when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God uses trials and suffering in our lives to produce steadfastness and holiness. The theological term for this is sanctification. Just as Jesus suffered, we will suffer. 
This is exactly what he meant when he said in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And through our trials, God continues to be merciful to us. Listen to the psalmist as they declare God's ongoing love to us. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or Psalm 40, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Or Psalm 83, but you, O Lord, are, the God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. However, God's mercy to us goes even further than that. The fact that we woke up this morning breathing, the fact that my heart is still beating right now, the fact that we are still full of faith and trusting, all this is due to God's amazing grace and mercy to us. And this leads me to my last point, which is God's future mercy. As we look into the future, we see that God has promised amazing things to us. Because of God's saving grace in our lives, we can hold firm to the fact that he will see us through to the end. Jesus himself says in John 6, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing for all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. God in his mercy will continue to sustain us to the end. There is nothing that you can do to lose your salvation. There is no sin that you can commit which will cause God to stop loving you. You are safe and secure by his amazing grace alone. But we all know that life gets hard and we know that temptations come and we know that sometimes we fail and we fall. And at this time we can rest in God's word when it says to us, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power. It is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's love continues to reach out to us and his grace and mercy continue to sustain us as we walk through our Christian life. 
When somebody asks you, how's your day going? You can truly respond better than I deserve. And often it will cause them to ask, what do you mean? Which is a great way into speaking more about God. So, all of this obviously begs a question and returns us to where we started. If God has been so merciful to us, how should we respond to others? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a sobering word to us, and it should cause us to sit up and take note. Would God really not forgive me if I don't show mercy and forgiveness to others? And surely when he says these things, surely he doesn't mean everybody. What about that person that did such and such to me? How can I forgive them for what they've done? Surely that is unforgivable. But as we look at God and we look at the scriptures, the answer is clear. We need to forgive as God has forgiven us. Although time doesn't allow, and it actually might because I'm quicker than I thought I would be, <laughs> when you get home, you should look through Jesus' parable called the unforgiving servant, which is found in Matthew 18. This is another example of how God calls us to be merciful to others and what it looks like when we're not. In his book, The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney, he writes, when I become bitter or unforgiving towards others, I am assuming that the sin of others is more serious than my sin against God. The cross, though, transforms my perspective. Through the cross, I realize that no sin committed against me will ever be as serious as the immeasurable sins I have committed against God. When we understand how much God has forgiven us, it is not difficult to forgive others. If we want to know how to become merciful, we need to look deep into our own sin. Only after truly looking at how sinful we really are and how much God has loved us and forgiven us can we truly understand what mercy is. We need to really understand that everything we have is because of the mercy God has shown us, a sinner saved by grace. Then we can be merciful to others. One of the issues in leaving unforgiveness resolved is that it breeds disunity. As we come out of a really hard season here at the shore that God has brought us through, we're in a unique position together as a body to bring glory to God 
through being unified as a body. The mission statement of Desiring God, which many of you know was founded by John Piper, is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And if we're holding unforgiveness towards others, which causes a spirit of disunity, we are not truly satisfied in God. We can't be. And if we are not truly satisfied in God, then he is not fully glorified in us. And bringing glory to God should be something we take very seriously. So let us be known as people in unity with each other, a people of mercy, and a people who are quick to come alongside each other and forgive. So, as I begin to wrap things up, we are not by nature as merciful and gracious as we think we should be. However, God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love to us, has forgiven our many sins. He has taken out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He has given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. And not only does he continue to lavish his mercy freely on us every day, but he also promises to keep us until that time when we will see him face to face. So, in way of application, first of all, all of us should praise and worship God for his mercy and grace to us each day, every day. Secondly, for those of us who are saved, God has called us to be imitators of himself. We are called to forgive others just as God has forgiven us. And probably that person who you're thinking of right now is the person that you need to forgive. And lastly, for those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day, not tomorrow or next week, today. Today is the day that you should put your faith in him and ask for his forgiveness of your many sins. Let me close in prayer and the band can come back and serve us. Father God, thank you for your ongoing mercy to us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for sending your son to die on our behalf for our many sins. Father, I pray that you would just minister to us as we just consider your word. I pray you give us boldness. If there are those we need to forgive, pray you would give us the strength to go to them and forgive them. And I pray, Father, for those who don't know you, that as we sing, as we worship you, I pray that they would give their lives to you and come to you and ask for forgiveness and ask that you would become Lord of their life. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.